Hey guys, thank you so much for joining. We're going to get started very shortly. Just waiting on our speakers. I see Brad just joined. Brad, can you hear me? Yep. How's it going, Max? It's going good. What about yourself? It's going well. I'm in I'm in rural northern Michigan, and my my MacBook charger broke yesterday, and I did not realize how difficult it was to find an old MacBook charger somewhere. But uh, the marathon ended in a new MacBook charger, so I'm sure I everyone was very concerned. Uh, so now you I know. I thought you were gonna say the marathon ended with the buying a new MacBook. Oh no, definitely not. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> No. <laughs> Perfect. I see Richard just joined. Let me make him as a speaker. Richard, can you hear us? Yeah. Hey, guys. Hey, Richard. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, thanks for uh, hosting this call for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, we have a lot to unpack. I think... Uh, we have uh, quite a few listeners. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Uh, today we'll be talking about uh, Teladoc uh, Q2 earnings results. For everyone who just joined, um, if you guys can share the link to the spaces uh, so we can gather some crown, they will be greatly appreciated. I think I just posted the link with Richard and Brad to the spaces. And uh, we're going to get started very shortly. I actually just realized this already seven one. Wow, time flies <laughs> very fast. Uh, so we are a bit behind our schedule right now. Uh, so uh, if uh, you guys want to go ahead and uh, get the process started and um, just to go over some of the highlights, uh, then we can break it down part by part. And um, at the end, while uh, once we're done talking about the numbers in earnings call, maybe we can take uh, some of the questions from our listeners. That would be great. So, um, Brad, would you like to go ahead? And uh, I saw you already posted a great article on your Substack. Um, by the way, for all the listeners, uh, if you didn't have a chance to check uh, Brad's uh, new Substack, I highly suggest you do that. Um, I'm actually... Uh, while Braid is going over the numbers, I will go ahead and um, attach this link to your substake to the spaces um, so people well, can you, go Max. and read. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, just going really quickly over the high-level financials. And note, this was comping over the quarter ending June uh, 2020. So this is starting to comp over really intense pandemic COVID-19-related pain. And Teladoc is... Um, you, you all know what kind of impact that has on the business. But um, so total revenues were up 108.7% year over year. That gaudy number um, includes the InTouch Health and all the Livongo sales. So organically, um, subbing both of those out, it was 41% organic growth versus 69% sequentially quarter over quarter. Uh, we were looking for 495 to 505 million in sales. So beat the midpoint, um, missed the high point of the guidance. So um, uh, so some people will be bearish and, and I guess rightfully so, but, um, but yeah, just, just stating the facts at this point. So uh, in terms of product demand, uh, U.S. paid members were up 4% year over year to 52 million. Uh, PMPM, which is kind of like their ARPU, it, it means per member per month. Um, it was up 142% year over year. So really just uh, showing you what Livongo and InTouch, what, what those new product integrations are going to mean for this business long term. Um, chronic care enrollment, uh, also very related to Livongo, up 45% year over year and six point or 8.6% sequentially. Their utilization rate ticked up to 21.5% versus 16% year over year. 
Um, total visits beat, actually did beat the high point of their guidance, which was 3.4 million. It came in slightly above that at 3.5 million. Um, adjusted EBITDA margin beat the high point of their guidance, um, which was uh, best case scenario uh, for for highest for high point of EBITDA and low point of revenue of 12.9%. They came in at 13.3%. Um, gross profit margin adjusted came in at 68.1%, which also expanded 6.9% year over year. So some really meaningful expansion there. Uh, net, net income margin, which I'll unpack a little bit, was negative 26.4%. Total net loss was $133.8 million. This includes, and I know people are going to roll their eyes at this because it's been a few quarters now, but $83 million in stock-based compensation related to the Livongo transaction, $46 million in amortization expenses related to M&A, um, that's Livongo and InTouch, and then $31 million in debt extinguishment charges. So when you sub all those out, they actually made $26 million in gap, or not gap, far from gap, uh, very non-gap net income. Um, for the outlook, uh, it was revenue was sort of in line at $510 to $520 million. Um, analysts were expecting right at that midpoint. So call it in line, um, annual guidance updates. They raised the midpoint of the revenue guide by 1%, um, adjusted EBITDA unchanged, uh, total visits they raised by 6%. Um, so interesting notes there. And, and yeah, that, that gives you a, a pretty good overview of, of how things went. So speaking really quick about those, um, losses uh, so if you actually start digging deeper and you actually start uh, paying attention to what this loss is related to like you mentioned a bunch of these expenses are non-recurring so for how long do you think we're going to keep seeing this non-recurring losses uh, related to the acquisition of Livanga, as well as stock-based compensation sure i could answer that and then if richard has uh, any any more color to add um absolutely go ahead and do that. Uh, it's starting to drag on a little bit. Um, I, I honestly uh, was not really expecting 80 million in stock-based comp this many quarters after the, uh, after the acquisition, um, after the merger, but we should be getting through it in the next quarter or so. Um, and, and I'm going to stick to my guns of the, the operational unit economics of this business model are phenomenal and improving um, with all these wonderful cross-selling opportunities, thanks to Livongo. Um, but all, all of these non-recurring cash charges are definitely giving us this gaudy headline number of negative 133 million in net income, which is significantly worsening um, from a margin perspective year over year. So we're not through it. I, I think next quarter is going to be similar. And then, and then hopefully after that, we will be through the brunt of it. Yeah, Richard, how do you feel with, about this? Yeah, I agree with Brad. Um, I think the mess on ETS wasn't that surprising. Um, they've missed actually like all of the recent earnings um, up, up until like I believe March 2020. So I think the market was just uh, sort of disappointed in um, sort of the like the relatively small beat. And um, I think the guide on at least on the top end, wasn't uh, changed. Um, and I believe Lavongo has uh, continued to slow down this year. So um, like usually like in Q1 to Q2, um, I think they grew like 8.7% uh, sequentially in terms of the chronic care enrollment. Um, so that was like significantly behind last year's. Um, now last year they did have the federal contract. So um, you're, you're factoring that in, but still like, um, I think like uh, this year, you know, like even st like starting back in Q1, there was a slowdown and I believe it's mostly, you know, better help, like they're killing it. Like they are on track for growing 50% this year um, and, you know, like how much of that is sustainable. So, so Richard, um, I remember we were doing the same Q1 earnings just for Teladoc uh, last quarter, and uh, you had some concerns about the integration of uh, Levanga, uh, Swiss and products, and uh, you didn't feel that comfortable. I'm just curious, like, uh, if your opinion changed uh, at all three months later, how do you feel about this today? Yeah, like, uh, I think um, sort of there were, like, warning signs um, for, for me, like, 
we um, sort of did expert calls, you know, like with former employees and stuff. And uh, sort of that uh, brought, you know, like a lot of disconfirming information to like with regards to our thesis. Um, so it was more so like a long-term shift in like us, like our confidence in um, the thesis. Uh, so that was what really sort of uh, drove that change. And I don't think, you know, like my opinion will change uh, anytime soon over like at least, you know, like the next year or so. Um, I think it will take until 2022 for them to like really start integrating Livongo, um, at least from like a user standpoint. And I'll be watching, you know, to see if they are succeeding with that. Um, I think if they start showing significant top line beats, um, then maybe like I'll reconsider it, but like I don't expect uh, to re revisit it anytime um, soon. Uh, but like, you know, like definitely open for other people to like sort of ask questions. I think uh, the issue was that, you know, like I couldn't sort of share everything on like on, on Twitter and public. Um, so you know, like, I, like, like, it wasn't because I uh, sort of got tired of Teladoc or like panics or anything. It was uh, more so like related to uh, like my belief because like the whole thesis relies on Teladoc integrating Lavongo. Like the whole time, like I believe that sort of telemedicine is a commodity, right? Like you're competing on sort of cost, you're competing on like ease of use, but it's very hard for different telemedicine providers to really differentiate themselves um, apart from that, and Teladoc's whole strategy has been to bundle these different, you know, point solutions together under one vendor, and this creates a lot of simplicity uh, for employers who would rather want to deal with one vendor as opposed to like tracking, you know, ten different vendors where it's really hard to like manage all those contracts to determine your ROI, um, determine what like what's working or not. Um, so I think that's uh, like a big uh, plus for Teladoc. Um, now, recently, there was like a, actually like Pepsi, uh, there was like a Wall Street Journal article about Pepsi leaving Teladoc. Um, and that was sort of a bit concerning because, you know, like t Pepsi was a Lavongo customer and they are still a Lavongo customer, but they left Teladoc because uh, they didn't really see the value in bundling um, sort of the different solutions. Uh, they believed that, you know, like they had Anthem and Anthem was their... Uh, um, their, their, their payer. So they uh, sort of went with Anthem's telemedicine solution because that was sort of integrated. That was more of a seamless user experience uh, for their users. And um, they just weren't seeing the ROI with the core telemedicine solution. Um, so that was, I guess, like a counterpoint. Um, but uh, yeah. How do you feel about their my strength complete offering that they just released? Uh, I think this quarter, if I'm not mistaken. How do you yeah, feel about this uh, offering? Yeah, like I think um, definitely excited to see where they're gonna take it. Um, it's you know like mental health is a big uh, sort of growth area, and as you can see from like the growth of BetterHelp, um, I think that there's a lot of potential for a more integrated offering. Um, but you know, it's still early stages wanting to see. Yeah. And I think this, uh, the whole point of just like, uh, listening to the CEO and the management team on the call, like, uh, they keep reiterating that uh, 2021 is uh, the investment year that when they make a lot of acquisitions, their pipeline is keep growing quarter over quarter. And, uh, I think CEO also mentioned multiple times that they, just got off the phone like video call with an, another large insurer and they made multiple uh, partnerships uh, this quarter i think it's with uh, hcsc which was the fifth largest uh, health insurer uh, in the united states uh, um, so i think 2021 is uh, it's gonna take some time for us to see uh, the results and um, the fruits of all these partnerships, uh, and 2022 is w the year, I think, that's when they're going to see the fruits of their labor that they do in this qu quarter. Am I mistaken here? No, I think uh, that's right. Like, so far, they've had a bunch of qualitative updates on sort of where 2022 is tracking. 
Um, I mean, it's looked good so far in terms of, as you mentioned, their new contract, which is pretty significant with um, HCSC. And I believe they have like 16 million members. So it's um, like they, like Teldoc is going to be offered to, to their fully insured members. And uh, I think sort of their self-insured employers uh, are going to be able to, um, I guess, partake, partake in their full suite of offerings. Um, and, you know, primary 260, there was updates on um, them signing like a, a national payer and they're on track for multiple launches next year. So I think like that is another positive update. Um, not sure if Brad has anything else. Yeah, I mean, we, we just, we pretty much every quarter we get the, the pipeline is very strong. Uh, momentum is very strong. And we got um, just adding a little bit to what Max said. It was, he said, just this week, we signed a significant primary 360 contract with a national payer. And we are also in the late stage discussions with several other health system payers. The pipeline here continues to grow. Um, so yeah, at, we didn't get um, a lot of specifics other than um, HCSE, which again, fifth largest health insurance company in, in America, pretty, pretty big deal there. But we, we did get kind of small little hints that, that maybe they're cross-selling and, 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 and their bundling of um, remote monitoring and in-whole person care is working. Um, we got two statistics that, that were pretty interesting, I thought. Um, 20% of, and I shared this on Twitter, but 20% of chronic care patients are now enrolled in multiple programs versus 6% year over year. Um, where's the other one? That might have actually been, oh no, and then 75% of their new contracts that, that are being signed are for multiple products versus 50% year over year. So th there, there's a lot of, I, I think Pepsi is definitely concerning um, anytime you have a, a Fortune 500 company leaving, but there, there's, a, there's going to be co consumer churn. Um, so, so I think just seeing continued uh, chronic care growth and, and continued um, HCSC contracts and, and things like that. I, I just, I, I take more of a positive, uh, I take more of a positive view on Teladoc um, than a lot of people on Twitter do at, at this point. Um, and I'm just, again, laser focused on, on, on gross profit margin and, 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 and adjusted EBITDA margin, just seeing how the actual business is performing and, and how, how much of a dollar they'd be putting on the bottom line if they weren't dealing with all of these um, Livongo integration charges. So, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Um, move on to the next. Oh, and then I'll, one more thing. Sorry. Uh, he said, or Gorovich said, we'll, we'll launch primary 360 with several Fortune 1000 clients in the second half of the year. So just going off of what Max is saying of 2021 is the transition year. And when I'm not really focused on, on net income, um, other than subbing out all those charges, but 2022 is when the stakes get really high. And when, um, and when things could go really well or really not well. So we'll, we'll see what happens. So do you guys agree that uh, if Teladoc is of right now, it's kind of like the case of uh, short-term pain by a long-term gain as a shareholder? I think, uh, yeah, I mean, like 2022, like so far the updates have been good. Um, and I think, you know, like it's going to be definitely like a wait and see story for shareholders. It's definitely cheap now. So, um, I mean, like the street doesn't, it's not expecting much. It's, it, does, it won't take much for, I think they can just meet consensus, uh, continue meeting consensus. And the stock, I mean, it shouldn't do very bad from here. But, uh, you know, like that's just my opinion. Um, I mean, like I don't have a position, uh, but I think... You know, like if you, yeah. Um... I also would like to hear uh, you guys' thoughts on uh, their Microsoft partnership and this offering of solo platform from Teladoc. What do you guys think? Uh, what kind of uh, future potential opportunities might come from this huge partnership with Microsoft uh, Teams? What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I can I can hit on that briefly and then uh, toss it over to Richard. So I, I was able to listen to a little bit of the, the Teladoc form um, from from last week. So I'll, I'll just give a couple of the really high level notes um, from that event. So it was with uh, Tom McGinnis, who is the VP of Global Healthcare and Worldwide Commercial Business at Microsoft. So this is from his point of view and, and his words. 
Uh, the solo platform's full integration with Teams is just the first stage of this new partnership. Teladoc will also integrate with Microsoft's electronic medical record, EMR database, and, and much more. Um, and just a quote from, from McGinnis, we believe that uh, the Teladoc Health Partnership will take Microsoft's impactful solutions for, to, for providers to higher levels. Teladoc's, um, let's move on from the, from the uh, cliche stuff. No more toggling back and forth between various software programs. Providers will now be able to focus on outcomes. We think there will be many more interesting ways for our two companies to work together. Um, so, so a lot of people, I, I tweeted about this when it happened, and, and a lot of people were like, well, they, did they sign a, a brand new uh, trillion dollar company um, to their uh, to their telehealth services or no, but th this was not that. This was just them integrating with Microsoft Teams. I believe Teladoc and Microsoft Teams, or Microsoft is a client of, of, of uh, Teladoc, but um, it's just, and when, when I talk to doctors and when I do the field research that I can do in, in my area, the main pain points they talk about are centered around Teladoc software communicating and integrating with third-party software. So this, this Microsoft Teams uh, database allowing everything on, on the solo platform to be accessed within Microsoft Teams, I, it's, it's, not gonna, it's not gonna immediately juice their top line and make people excited there, but I do think it's gonna make it overall a better product and a better experience for the providers that are, that are using this product. And, and for that reason, I am excited about it. Richard, do you have anything else to add on this part? Um, yeah, like I agree with Brad. Um, I think I haven't looked into, you know, Microsoft Teams, um, how, how, like how widely it's used within health systems. Um, but I mean, it's definitely like something that I believe is a positive uh, for, you know, more integrations for Teladoc. Um, but yeah, like haven't looked into that partnership I was. I had a chance to listen to uh, the earnings call, and uh, I heard that the CEO made the statement that we are unmatched in the market uh, with our primary 360 offering, and it is validated by multiple partners and pairs. Uh, how do you guys feel about this statement? Is it true? Is it overblown? How do you guys feel about this? There's probably a little bit of both there. I mean, Teladoc does have industry leading scale. So, and they do have a, a large suite of products and that's how tele that's how Teladoc will turn itself from this commoditized point solution company in, in telehealth, which Richard is absolutely right. Those are commodity or, or a point solution in telehealth at this point is a commodity, but whole person care um, covering primary care and chronic care um, and urgent care where, where it's possible in the virtual world right now, doing all of those things and, and integrating them in, in an effective way with this massive um, network of, of, of primary care physicians and, and hospital managers and dietitians that, that Teladoc has access to. Um, that's how Teladoc can differentiate itself um, for, for these Fortune 1000 clients that it's now saying are, are very excited to sign on with Primary 360. Yeah, like I think um, in terms of like the telemedicine solution itself, um, like they really need to be able to integrate, you know, Livongo and I think that is more of a wait and see. Uh, but at the moment, I think their biggest benefit is just the fact that employers want to deal with one vendor um, and they're able to integrate multiple services into one. I think the bearish argument would be that uh, really um, it's a fact that sort of COVID, it brought forward a lot, like, you know, like it accelerated the space by like three to five years. Um, but a lot of that went to sort of uh, health systems, like providers own adoption of telemedicine. So I think that chart that, you know, like I posted a while ago showing sort of telemedicine providers share like Teladoc, Amwell, et cetera, versus sort of uh, like, like um, health systems and providers um, adoption of telemedicine solutions themselves. Like they're using uh, stuff like Epic, Zoom, whatever. Um, so that has gone um, significantly up, whereas the share of, of third-party telemedicine providers has gone down. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are concerned about is that providers can just offer this service themselves and patients, you know, like they aren't going to shop around. We listen to our providers. Uh, so if our provider is on Zoom, then we'll use Zoom. Um, so I think 
really foretell off to differentiate themselves, they need to be able to have more of an integrated solution um, that can produce better ROI, but that has yet to be proven. So, Yeah, good points, guys. Um, one thing I wanted to touch really quick is uh, on the international front. I think about uh, 10% of their uh, total revenues coming from uh, international. And uh, they did mention that uh, they had a partnership with uh, Telefonica, if I'm not mistaken, which has approximately 60 million u- users. It's a, it's a company in Brazil as well as a uh, partnership with Singa International when uh, they had um, um, some operations in India, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, how do you guys feel about uh, uh, Teladoc um, potential to increase uh, revenues internationally? Yeah, they're talking, or this is also, I'm pulling this information from the forum as well. So. Uh, Carlos Nueno, who, who, or I don't know if it's Nueno or Nueno, so I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, please forgive me. But uh, he talked about Germany's recent passing of this Digital Healthcare Act and, and how it's really opening the door wide open for virtual healthcare reimbursement to more directly incentivize the German healthcare system to actually use these solutions. Um, so hopefully that'll be a domino um, in Europe for, for several more com- or countries following suit. But Teladoc is they, they gave this statistic which which I found pretty impre- pretty eye popping and, and noteworthy but they're expecting um, telehealth spend in Europe specifically to quadruple from now to the year 2026 so post pandemic hopefully post pandemic um, they're they're expecting a four x through uh, 2026 so I don't know what that the Kager is there I'd have to do the math really quickly but it's high um, so yeah the international opportunities are 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 bountiful and. And right now they're not doing a ton um, in, internationally, like you're, you're saying. It's still a pretty small chunk of their revenue, and it's growing a lot more slowly than than their North American revenues are. So um, it'll be interesting to see if this um, reimbursement act will, will change that, or or if this quadrupling in, in healthcare spend in the next five years uh, will impact their businesses there. Yeah. So I think internationally. Um... Definitely, like it's like a lot, of, um, like a lot of countries are increasingly moving towards um, remote uh, medicine. Um, if you look at, you know, Singapore too, like they uh, recently, you know, like supported sort of had like a partnership with Apple in order to uh, give, I guess, um, free rewards to people who use their Apple Watch to track and improve their health. Um, but I think the challenge there is that, you know, like a lot of these other international countries have single payer healthcare systems. Um, so, I mean, it's a bit harder for, um, I guess, governments, which mostly like focus on cost. Um, I mean, even in the US, if you look at, you know, if Teladoc wants to go to um, Medicare, then a lot of it comes down to cost, um, as opposed to sort of self-insured employers, um, which are more, willing to take like a look at, you know, um, ROI or member experience, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, while we're talking about revenues, um, I saw that uh, revenues are broken down in two segments. One segment is excess fee revenue, which was up uh, pretty big, like 138% year over year. But uh, when it comes to visit fee revenue, it was up like 1%. Uh, what do you guys think is, uh, it's been flat quarter over quarter? Is it a big concern for you or nothing serious? Uh, I, can, I can answer that and, and then let Richard uh, add anything he wants to. To me, uh, it's, it's solely related to the fact that we are comping over the period where people were locking down in, in their homes and 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 not able to do anything in socially distancing. So so that's that's I mean this in terms of COVID beneficiaries, it's hard to think of a company getting a, a larger boost. Um, maybe Peloton or maybe Zoom, but but Teladoc's definitely up there. So the slow growth in some of those metrics, um, like U.S. member growth being I think four percent year over year, I, I just think we we did pull forward. Um, a lot of demand and, and that and, and I, I do expect Teladoc to get back to that 
30-ish percent compounding rate um, starting next year when, when it can when it can enjoy more normal comparisons. Yeah. Um, def- like uh, with echo what Brad said, um, if you look at total visits, they were up 28% year over year. So, um, and, and utilization, I think 21.5%. Um, so those are all uh, quite solid, but you know, like with visit fees, um, like those are people like you would have to expect that, versus I think last year, second quarter, it's like it was the height of COVID, right? So. Yeah, that was high, but I was uh, pretty surprised to see that organic growth uh, was actually 41% if we exclude uh, all of the other acquisitions. Uh, 41% if we compare with the peak of the uh, COVID, I think that's pretty impressive and pretty encouraging, if you ask me. Yeah, I I agree, Max. Um, I I forty one percent growth over a period of time where they're getting about the largest macro boost you can possibly imagine. I mean, two thumbs up for me. I know a lot of people are are shrugging their shoulders at this quarter and not super excited about it. Um, but I mean, I think it that that's partially because maybe twenty twenty trained us to think. 40% growth isn't as impressive as it, as it truly is with some of these companies growing 200 whatever percent or year over year. So 41% organic growth, um, that, that really works at, at this scale. Um, so yeah, I was happy with it too. I just actually saw uh, that um, I was taken on this tweet by the investing plug uh, who is li- listening. So thank you for taking me in this. And he uh, posted this image of the question that he asked about um, stock-based compensation. And the answer from the uh, investor relation was that the largest portion of stock-based compensation represents amortization related to the Levanga merger that will amortize off over the next two years. So total SBC reported will be elevated until it full amortizes. So I guess we're going to keep seeing this large expenses for the next, well, I don't know. It, yep. It's, it's going to fall. Um, it won't be 80 million a quarter for the next two years. I think in that, in that same screenshot, it referenced 30 million per quarter. Um, so it's going to fall. Uh, 80 million is a really gaudy number right now. Um, and it will fall, but, but yeah, uh, this 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 large of a merger, uh, it, it it's tough to integrate. And and the thing that gives me confidence is that Teladoc has just a very long history of of large mergers and acquisitions, large compared to how big it was at the time when it acquired whatever company it acquired. Um, so yeah, this this is its its largest uh, task, I guess, or challenge yet, if you will. Um, and and yeah, we're getting through it slowly but surely, but but not through the woods yet. Hey, really curious, guys. Uh, did you have a chance to hear anything on the call uh, regarding the the other two acquisitions that uh, they made in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty related to In Touch Technologies as well as Consulting Connect? Uh, did you guys hear anything uh, about these acquisitions? Um, how's the integration going, or revenues from these um, segments, or anything? Because I haven't heard anything. Yeah, uh, or, yeah. I, I'll answer quickly and then and toss it over, Richard. I'm talking too much, but um, the merger merger synergy talk um, on on the chat or on the on the conference call was was definitely centered around the bongo. There was not a whole lot of um, in touch color uh, added or, or referencing in touch specifically. It was Lavongo individually, and then in touch uh, essentially just being lumped into the the rest of Teladoc's business at this point, even though it's not technically organic growth yet. Yeah, like um, I think they rebranded in touch into Teladoc Health uh, Systems, like Hospital and Health Systems, um, and I mean uh, I think growth has been pretty flat. I mean, if you look at uh, sort of their platform-enabled sessions, um, so like those are where they're like white labeling sort of their. Uh, telemedicine solution and providing it to health systems. So those visits were flat, I think, quarter over quarter. 
but yeah, like it's mainly Livongo that's uh, and and BetterHelp that is really driving top line. Well, that was helpful, definitely more than I heard. Um, well, we're already 35 minutes into the call, and um, I think uh, you guys did a great job of going over um, all of the results. So we can open up to um, listeners' questions, and I have a request from a passive income investor. So let me go ahead and um, make him a speaker. It shows that passive uh, investor can speak now. Can you hear us? Yeah. Hey, guys. How's everyone doing? Pretty good. What's going on? Hi, guys. I think I had a quick question for maybe the panel. Um, Like, what do you guys think, you know, just in general about this space, you know, going into like two or three years? um, Is is we going to see like continuous organic growth or are we seeing, you know, people heading back to, you know, their physicians and then like what do we think if there are other competitors out there, you know, like if if all these large tech companies they decided to come up with the same other product and any thoughts there? So depending on where you look, the the CAGR for virtual care specifically is really elevated um for the foreseeable future. So some have it at 11%, some have it above 20%. Um, so maybe um, take a moving average of that if you want to, um, somewhere in the high teens. In terms of, of, of competition coming, um, and, and, and Amazon and Walmart and all these really intimidating, deep-pocketed companies, that is uh, the unfortunate reality with, with in investing in, in these high-growing uh, or quickly-growing disruptors. It, it invites competition, and, and it, it's proof of concept almost, um, in my opinion, um, when these companies are are considering this opportunity lucrative enough to pursue, but, but healthcare is a truly massive industry. So it will, it will be a, about the furthest thing from a one, one person take all as you, you can possibly um, imagine. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I would just say Amazon has had a very mixed history. Um, I, I don't know if it was called pharmacy.com or drugstore.com or something um, in the dot-com era that, that did not do well. And then their endeavor with uh, Berkshire Hathaway that was shut down um, recently, last year, so it's not a guarantee that Amazon is just going to come in and and they win because they're they're trying to take the opportunity. I I do think it's way more likely that they'll succeed than about any other competitor that can pursue the opportunity. But um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a gigantic industry. It's 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 quickly growing, so it's going to invite a lot of deep pocketed competitors. I think the one I'm really worried about in this space is Google. I think they announce a company. I think almost two weeks back uh, within their alphabet family. And I think they're focusing on healthcare. And I do know, like I have some friends who works uh, at Google. I think they are testing internally, like scheduling all these doctor visits. Uh, They can just use their internal platform. I mean, that's my concern. I think, you know, I think they get something solid there, but is it something we can see? I think personally, um, big tech, if you look at um, all of the major players, personally, I thought Apple would have, you know, like the, like it would make the most sense to pair with Teladoc because they have significant troves of data that they're collecting from their um, Apple Watch and their other wearables. And that can directly feed into, you know, Livongo's um, AI engine and potentially in better inform the visits that uh, like a teledoc physician can provide. Um, they actually have like a partnership with Amwell um, to do the same thing on the Apple Watch. Uh, so I think like that, like like definitely could have a lot of potential, but it doesn't seem like they're pursuing that direction very aggressively. And then for Amazon, I mean, like if you look at Amazon, if you look at Google, they're all newcomers to healthcare, and the difference with healthcare and the other industries is that, you know, like consumers aren't the people who are paying directly for their care. Like they go through through payers and payers really control like the whole ecosystem. So I think even Amazon, like they uh, recently, there was like a report that, you know, like they um, want to do these value-based arrangements, uh, but payers, like they want to do uh, fee for service instead. So they, didn't see the ROI yet 
uh, through Amazon. So even Amazon is having trouble uh, getting traction with their own uh, sort of platform because they need to go through these payers. Same thing with Teladoc. Um, so I think that, you know, payers coming out with their own solutions, uh, that's sort of the main uh, point of worry. Um, you also have, you know, like these, like EHRs, like Epic, for example, where they're like, they have like their own telemedicine solution that's powered through Twilio. And since like, uh, like I believe around uh, 50% of hospitals of, of physicians are on, you know, the top two uh, EHR uh, systems, um, Epic and Cerner, I think that um, it's definitely like they are the entrenched player and uh, like what like within touch is more of like a premium product. Um, so it's, so it's always going to be, you know, like a challenge to try and, you know, work against the payers, which is why Teladoc has now um, like, like they're sort of conforming more to sort of what payers want with the way that they design their product and making sure that they play nice with all of like stay neutral with all the different payers. Got it. Yeah, no, I think somebody brought the point earlier. I think, you know, Zoom and FaceTime also like, you know, a lot of doctors used, you know, and you can just use the insurance on the file. And yeah, no, I, I think it's a good stock. I, I'm just worried about the cash they're burning. And then given, you know, if they don't have something vertical attached to their platform, I mean, people can do this over Zoom easily or over, over FaceTime. That that's their that's their entire that's their entire mission right now is to become that that company that isn't is like Richard has talked about a couple of times that isn't um, a single point solution that that forces Fortune 50 companies to sign five different contracts with five different telehealth services and 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 five different integrations and instead doing it all on one platform and primary care 360 that that launch is going to be um, the test of of also what Richard was talking about of, of if all of these integrations can really truly lead to a, a boosted ROI. And when, when you look at every other industry, it does. So um, so, so I assume rolling up the, these services um, will have the exact same impact in healthcare and, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll just have to wait and find out. No, I agree. And I think they do also have like, you know, I think someone was talking about they have an exposure in India. I think the problem with India and Canada, I think they have free healthcare solutions. So, you know, that they're like government apps, you can just use them. I mean, that that's another thing. I, I mean, healthcare is maybe pretty popular within US uh, in, in private sector, but I think it's generally seen as a public sector, you know, for the rest of the world. I, I think the opportunity, I don't have the TAM on top of my head, I bet Richard does, but the, the American healthcare TAM is just it's more than compelling enough to, to build a, a truly massive company without without needing these um, international endeavors, which they are pursuing, they're just not as pursuing as aggressively as, as, as their United States business. Okay, so what's the maybe the end call here? Should is it at the buy level, or you know, should you wait for a little bit while to get it more, you know, leaner a little bit? Uh, what's what's any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I stink at market timing, so I'm not I'm not sure there, but I will say. I think we have we have a few more quarters of of both getting through Lavongo stock based comp charges and also getting through that this umbrella of of telehealth being a um, a COVID nineteen fad and that all the growth was happening because it was the only other option um, or the only option at the time and now that that um, brick and mortar care is returning it's just going to fade um, I do not believe that at all I don't I don't think that's the case at all. Um, and I think it's going to take Teladoc um, several quarters to shed that uh, to shed that label of, of a COVID-19 stock. And I also think it's going to take a couple more quarters to shed um, the gaudy headline um, net income loss numbers that we're all focusing on from from these mergers that they've done. Hey, Brad, last question. I think, uh, do you think it's better on in Google? I mean, they had 68% revenue growth and they kind of like have amazing you know, profitability and compared to the stock. I mean... I don't know how come these big giants they're like keep doing better on the revenue and earnings, right? 
is it better to put your you know money to work on those stocks compared to so called these growth stocks yeah um i think we're comparing apples and oranges there um so i'm going to go ahead and and say no comment and move on to the next question Yeah, man, thank you so much for your question, passive uh, income. And uh, I think I'd, I'll just add one thing that uh, regarding the long-term prospects for Levanga when it comes to the next couple of years, I think the CEO said that uh, in the end of this year, they're going to host a huge investment day and they're going to cover a lot of these areas. Uh, do you guys know the exact date or no, Brad, Richard? D- did they announce it or no? I don't think they mentioned it. Can you re- can you repeat the question Max sorry No I was just saying that uh, regarding the long term prospects for Teladoc uh, um the CEO mentioned that they're going to cover a lot of these areas during the big investment uh, investor day which supposed to be sometime in Q4 if I'm not mistaken Yeah I I bet they're just going to really roll out the red carpet on primary 360 and, and pound their chest on um all these Fortune 1000 clients that they're telling us to expect um to be on board in the second half of the year. So it's going to probably be centered around that. It's going to be centered around um, the behavioral product that, that they've, that they've launched with the Longo and seeing how adoption's going there. Um, their, their analyst days for the next few years, I think are just going to be them proving to the world that they are not a commoditized point solution. Telehealth provider, they're the only whole person care telehealth provider plus remote, um, remote monitoring capability company. And, and, and that, I think that'll be the theme. Yeah, we'll see. Look forward to that as well. I just made um sure uh I'm not sure how to pronounce your name so uh, yeah, I, I no apologize. <laughs> yeah, no worries. This is Rish. Uh thank you Max for doing this and thank you Richard and Brad. I just have a quick question. You guys mentioned the stock based amortization is going to uh continue for the next 2 years or so. Uh, but you guys also mentioned it uh, it will go down slowly like i just wanted to understand like you know uh, what do you, why you guys think that way like you know why is it going to go down for the next 2 years so there's only there's only so many assets that they can amortize and and write down um from from these from these in touch and lavango transactions and i i would like to think that they're not they're not saving it and and backloading the amortization for 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 later on so so that plus the fact that stock-based compensation is normally front-loaded in these large merger and acquisitions. And, and then that, that picture that somebody so timely posted on, on Twitter saying um, the eight, eight, expect the $80 million to get more than cut in half to $30 million in the coming quarters and then so on and so forth. So um, just using those two pieces of evidence. I see. Okay, thanks. Sure thing, man. Thanks for the question. Let me just add another uh, speaker here. Man, all these names are so difficult to pronounce, so I'm, I'm just scared <laughs> to say it out loud. Can you hear us? Are you able to hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yeah, hi. Uh, don't worry about the name. Uh, anyways, my name is Deepu, and I'm glad that you took my question. Uh, I was wondering, have you guys... Uh, heard about a direct to consumer brand called hims um their strategy is and they are a telehealth company and their strategy is kind of uh, uh, different in the sense that uh, they are focusing on ailments that are kind of embarrassing in nature uh, for example erectile dysfunction loss of hair uh, birth control where you know patients generally are not open to uh, either talking going to a clinic talking to a doctor so they would prefer um, doing this virtual consultations uh, so i i was wondering if you guys have heard about this company and what do you think about this company Yeah, yeah, I've not really dug in. So, R- Richard, um, if you'd like to cover that, all all yours, I've, I've probably taken too much talking time already. Yeah, so um, I think hymns, uh, like you're definitely right that um, sort of people with um, those sort of concerns um, pr- would prefer not to go directly to um, like an in-person visit. It's it's like like they also have you know discrete packaging, so it's like uh like like their whole I think. Um, moat is around their brand 
and appealing to that young consumer. Um, I think the challenge is that churn is quite high. Like I think is around like 50% after 18 months. Um, like their one year LTV to CAC is around just two times. Um, and I think the main challenge with that is, uh, or, or sort of the cause is that um, like a, like someone can take advantage of their cheap telemedicine consults. Like I think um, like some of them are even free if you want, if, if you just want to speak to one of their doctors and then they can sort of forward their script to someone like GoodRx to uh, get it for a cheaper price. Um, where HIMS make most of your margin is on the subscriptions, right? So it's after the consult and they charge you for like a relatively highly priced generic. Um, so I think like that uh, is something that I'm not sure, you know, how many people will continue to do that. That is, that is true. Uh, thanks, Richard. However, uh, from a strategy point of view, don't you think that establishing a brand which resonates with the end consumers uh, is, you know, uh, how do I put it, is overall a better strategy than a B2B2C uh, kind of a strategy like which is adopted by Teladoc? where they are pitching to the employees and then the employees are kind of uh, rolling out the offerings to the end consumers. Um, so, uh, 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 so the question is, what, in your opinion, what is the better strategy, business strategy? Oh. Yeah, so I think it really depends on the product, right? Like for Lavanco, it's not something that can go B2C uh, because consumers, they don't have the incentive to want to pay, you know, like 60 uh, like 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 seventy five dollars a month um, just to get access to uh, sort of diabetes monitoring, which will only sort of produce results over a long term when they have their own healthcare coverage, right? So that cost gets passed on to the employer. So the employer has the incentive to want to purchase Lavongo and keep their employees healthy. Um, now people like, of course, like everyone's concerned about their health, right? Like, uh, but you know, preventative health—that's something that um, I think the incentives because incentives in healthcare are so misaligned, like that's why um, it hasn't necessarily like really taken off yet. Um, but if you look at something like GoodRx or HIMSS, um, there's definitely much faster uh, scalability when you're going direct to consumer. So things can scale much, much faster as opposed to when you're selling to payers, you have to, you know, first prove your ROI, first prove your outcomes, and then you can sort of even get a table with them. So I think that um, definitely like there's that aspect. There's also the aspect of brand. So if you look at Amazon and their attempt to uh, sort of come into um, sort of the uh, discount card space against GoodRx, you know, GoodRx has the established brand. They have significant brand recognition. Um, whereas with Teladoc, I mean, it's more of uh, like a transitory, I mean, like a transactionary um, sort of uh relationship where, you know, if Amazon Care is able to offer significantly better ROI and they're able to offer it for, you know, perhaps or, or like a lower cost than Teladoc, then perhaps, you know, employers will uh, sort of be more willing to go to them. Whereas in the consumer space, it's more about your relationship with consumers, your brand. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. Makes sense. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, really quick, Richard, I have a question as well for you. While you're talking about good RX, I saw this tweet from Brady yesterday about the <laughs> hypothetical merger between good RX oh, and Teladoc. No. <laughs> you knew it's coming. <laughs> uh, I would love to hear your thoughts about this. So I think uh, there's definitely some um, overlap in terms of good RX. They provide direct-to-consumer telemedicine visits through, through um, Hey Doctor. Um, and Teladoc, like they, I think, um, would do well to have that integration where um, like you can sort of directly uh, like get a sort of GoodRx coupon um, after you uh, do your consult. But I think like a lot of Teladoc doctors are already referring people to GoodRx um, because, I mean, it just saves consumers money. There's no cost for them to uh, do so, so like why wouldn't you um i think the challenge uh is more cultural um i think GoodRx is a lot more you know um, consumer focused and 
Um, I'm not sure, you know, like if it would align with their uh, mission to merge. Yeah, I just, I, I agree. <laughs> Personally, I was just kind of fantasy M&A in my head, but but it, it is it is pretty compelling to think about really steep script discounts and the direct-to-consumer aspect integrated there. But I, I don't, I don't, I, I also agree with you thinking, I don't think GoodRx is really looking to sell itself at this point in time. Yeah, I just had to ask this question. So, and once opportunity presented itself, <laughs> I couldn't pass. Um, I just added um, Shapur um, as a speaker. I'm sorry if I if I mispronounce your name. Can you hear us? Oh you yeah, have a question? yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Thank you. Um, I have a question for Richard. I, in last time, also in last time, sorry, I was listening to him, and he said like he reduced some position in Teladoc. I'm just wondering, you know, what is his position now? Is he uh, is he still holding or reduce some position? Just, just curious. Just would like, would like to know. Yeah, like um, I encourage people to sort of see my uh, like monthly portfolio uh, reviews um, for more like up to date uh, sort of changes. But um, I, I, I personally sold out last month. Um, I already had like you know like a significantly reduced position um, after their first quarter. So like right after their first quarter. Um, and, you know, like, I think that conviction was, I mean, I mean, I like could have sort of like, I like, it was more so uh, hoping that I guess the thesis would play out, you know, like once you lose confidence in their sort of ability, then it's a bit hard to sort of have that conviction to, con to continue holding um, that I would like to have for all my holdings. Um, so I think that, that, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I don't have a position anymore. Okay. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for your question. Um, as of right now, I don't have, um, any other request to speak. So in a way getting close to an hour mark, I was planning to, uh, closing the spaces at eight o'clock. So to, to, to respect you guys time. So. Thank you so much for participating. Just for some closing remarks, maybe we can close um, based on Q2 numbers. I think uh, everything is uh, looking pretty good, if you ask me. And um, I was personally satisfied with everything that's going on. Very excited about um, the pipeline that they have and uh, keep integrating all the acquisition, including Lavanga. Yeah, even though these numbers may look... Um, alarming in the first place but once you start digging and actually seeing what's going on and where this loss is coming from then it makes total sense and uh, some of these non-recurring expenses at some point is gonna um, go away and all these partnerships and acquisitions that they're making right now it's gonna start uh, playing out and um, so i'm holding tight and uh, looking forward for q3 what about you guys yeah, I'll just, I think I've said uh, my piece on the, on the earnings call. I just uh, want to say thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, Richard's obviously brilliant, and it, it's really, I think, valuable to, to get juxtaposing opinions on the same company just so that you everyone can kind of gauge for themselves what they think. So, so thanks for having me, and, and Richard, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Max, for hosting, and thanks, Brad, for uh, also uh, speaking with me. Um, I think, you know, if there's anyone else who would like to ask questions or sort of try to better understand uh, my view, uh, then definitely uh, reach out. Um, definitely always open in the DMs. Um, and, uh, like, I would encourage uh, people, like, I know that, you know, like, personally, like, I sold out, but uh, definitely, like, don't just follow um, me finally like into a stock or out of a stock so try to form like your own view and like if you're bullish if you're going to continue holding uh, no matter if someone on fintwit sells out or not that's when you have you know actual conviction to be able to like hold through these drawdowns um, and yeah like I just wanted to uh, say that because I think you know people were like some people were upset uh, potentially um, that I sold out um uh, uh, like up Teladoc and of course like you know like I could always be wrong about the stock I could always uh, sort of change my mind for um, like like after receiving additional data and try to like uh, sort of confirm or disconfirm my original thesis um, so yeah I mean if there's anyone who 
had questions about that, then would love to, you know, go more in depth. You know, ju judging by what I heard uh, from you uh, when we're going over Q1 results, and right now I think uh, you're actually a little bit more bullish on uh, Teladoc right now in the acquisition of Lavongo as you were during Q1 numbers. I don't know, this is just the impression that I got. Maybe I'm mistaken. Um, I don't know. So makes me feel a little bit better. And um, yeah, thank you so much, uh, Richard and Brad, for participating. I always uh, love hearing your take and uh, learn a lot from both of you guys. Thank you uh, for all the listeners. We have earnings digest for Shopify tomorrow at 7 o'clock Eastern time. So um, we have a great lineup as well. Chris from Growth Value, Bahama Ban, David Marlin uh, from IOF Fund, and Dom from Pound at the Table. So really excited to go over Shopify results, one of my highest conviction names. So... See you guys tomorrow. Thank you.